This episode of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is made possible thanks to support from listeners like you. So if you enjoy the show and want it to continue, please sign up to give us a dollar or two per episode over at patreon.com geeks. And if you'd rather make a one-time contribution, you can do that via check or PayPal over at geeksguideshow.com crowdfunding. And I want to give a special thank you to Ross Hetherington, who just made a very generous contribution to the show via PayPal. So big thanks again to everyone who's contributed. We really appreciate it. All right, so now let's get to our show. Wired.com presents The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. And here is your host, David Barr Kirtley. Hello, and welcome to episode 458 of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. Our guest today is Griffin McElroy. Together with his brothers Justin and Travis, he created the popular comedy podcast My Brother, My Brother, and Me. And he also served as the first game master for the Dungeons & Dragons real play podcast The Adventure Zone, which also includes Justin and Travis along with their father Clint. Griffin also co-hosts the podcast Wonderful along with his wife Rachel, and his short story Stories in the Sand appeared in the Star Wars anthology from a certain point of view. And we'll be speaking with him today about his new podcasting guide Everybody Has a Podcast Except You which he wrote with Justin and Travis. And now here's our interview with Griffin McElroy. All right, so we're here with Griffin McElroy. Welcome to the show. Hello, thank you for having me. Um, it's very, it's a, a luxurious studio you've got here. Um, <laughs> you have many salt lamps going, which is great for my, for my skin. And uh, the bottled water is nice and, and cool, and I appreciate that. Yeah, just for our special guests, we do that. Right. Yeah. Um, okay, so your new book is called Everybody Has a Podcast Except You. So how did this book come about? We, uh, it, 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 it was sort of a weird period for us around the time that we finished the first season of uh, The Adventure Zone, uh, which we would have wrapped up in 2017. Uh, and we, I think, suddenly kind of had a lot more time on our hands. Uh, not, not in the sense, uh, n not so much free time, because at that point we all had kids. So in that sense, our free time had uh, actually gone off to a, a, a corner <laughs> to die. Um, but we sort of had a little bit more, um, uh, some more resources to spend on other projects, and we were curious about, you know, trying out other forms of media uh we had made a a, a wildly unsuccessful tv show uh, out of my brother my brother and me at that point and you know we were feeling really cocky uh and we'd had an idea to do a, a book about podcasts uh it probably had been kicking around for uh a year or so at that point uh and i think what really sort of made us settle on pursuing the idea was uh was podcon which was a a convention that ran for a couple of years where a bunch of podcasters got together in Seattle and sort of just talked about how they made podcasts. And we had been doing that in isolation for, for so long. Uh, you know, we've been doing podcasts for 11 years now and sort of realized like, oh, there's actually a lot of ways that people are doing this. And, you know, I think we have accumulated enough sort of experience in, on doing this stuff um, without, you know, a bunch of formal training, uh, and on, you know, at, at starting out at least sort of a shoestring budget. Uh, and that's not something that everybody kind of knows how to do. So, uh, that kind of framed it for us as, as a, a project that would have, 
that would have value. Uh, and, you know, it was a lot easier to get that across the finish line during a global pandemic when we, when we really had a lot of free time on our hands. Um, so yeah, those were, those were kind of the building blocks of it. Um, we, we, we sort of had to make up our own way of doing things, uh, especially starting out and yeah, that, that, those solutions were kind of different for everybody is, is what we found out at PodCon. So we thought, Hey, let's, you know, write a how to guide for anybody who wants to try and follow and, are sort of inadvisable footsteps. <laughs> was it pretty straightforward getting a publishing contract or were there any twists or turns there? Um, it was fairly straightforward. Yeah, we uh, that, that part, you'll have to forgive me, was uh, so long ago that I, I don't remember exactly the specifics of, uh, of, of how it went down. Um, but it was, it was a, a fairly easy process. I think that trying to work with the publisher to find the tone for the book was was the trickier part um trying to find the middle ground between like having it be a uh you know straightforward educational self-help sort of resource versus uh being something that would have uh, a, a modicum of entertainment value to somebody who like didn't care about that stuff um and I, I think that that is kind of the that that was kind of the tougher sell, I think, um, because I, I I feel like our um, our CV kind of was strong enough that that uh, our, our publisher was interested in 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 the book. Uh, it was just a question of like what that book would be like to read uh, was was the tougher thing. Well, yeah, I mean, we could explain that the format is that there are different sections written by you and your two brothers and then even your wives Correct. as well. And then there are these little kind of like inserts where if it's not your section, you'll throw in a little comment, sometimes sort of witty or sarcastic comments. And, and so there's sort of the perspectives, perspectives of all the different authors kind of mixed throughout the book. Yeah, there's nothing more sort of uh, defeating, I feel like, than talking about, uh, and I don't know why I don't feel this way about the podcast, but I definitely feel it about the book, like talking about it in this way where it's like, and that's, and and this is what is so tough about like writing the book is there would be a lot of times where like our editor would be like, this part needs jokes (laughs) or this part, you've, you've gone for a long time talking about uh, digital audio workspaces here and it hasn't been particularly engaging. And it's like, yeah, I guess I, I do kind of go off like that um, (laughs) in in real life too. So how about some jokes? Yeah, sure. Let me just, uh, let me just squeeze out a joke, I guess real quick. It's, it's uh, yeah, that doesn't, that's not necessarily how we sort of think about, doing goofs for uh for for the various podcasts so that was a bit of a learning process yeah well i mean i definitely kind of wish i'd had this book you know i started podcasting around the same time that you did in 2010 and just Mm -hmm. reading this book i was kind of like every chapter i was like oh yeah i learned that the hard way oh yeah i learned that the hard Mm -hmm. way oh yeah definitely that's what the book could have been called it's like (laughs) a bunch of like now obvious stuff to us that we learned like a, a, a really hard way. I think we were lucky, actually, all things considered, that we figured out the stuff that we figured out when we figured it out. Um, but things certainly would have been much smoother if we could have sort of, you know, back to the future to sent this book back to ourselves. Although then you get into like, then we grow up and write the book. Like, where does that, where does <laughs> the book actually come from? It's a, yeah. And then I guess we destroy, you know, causality. <laughs> and that's a whole nother that's a whole nother problem. 
Well, cause yeah, I mean, it really seems like the podcasting kind of ecosystem was much more, uh, welcoming or much more, you know, much less competitive in 2010. And, um, certainly like I, I, I wouldn't want to go back and listen to my early episodes. And it's funny, you actually say in this book that, uh, you recommend, I don't know if this is 100% a joke or not, but you recommend that people should skip the first 150 episodes of my brother, my brother and me. Oh, that's not a joke. That's <laughs> absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, for a few reasons. One is that, uh, you know, back in, in 2010, all of us had fairly, um, sheltered upbringings uh, and uh, told a lot of sort of uh, dog shit jokes that were, uh, you know, uh, deeply problematic, let's say, and uh, were were things that our audience sort of heard and in very gracious uh, ways told us like, hey, that really hurts. Like, that really sucks. I'm a big fan of your work and it sucks that you would say. And so we we kind of uh, realized like, hey, we should, you know, we should listen to uh, our our audience, and uh, we should uh, realize that a lot of the stuff we were saying is pretty reprehensible. Um, so, yeah, I'm not sure that 150 is like the hard cutoff for when we uh, tried to be decent human beings. Um, but also, on the other hand, it's just it. I don't think the show is as good. It just didn't sound as good, and we hadn't really, you know. We hadn't settled in our rhythms, as weird as it feels to say that about my family that I've been a part of now for 33 years. It was also interesting to me as a interesting to me as a podcaster to see that you're using a lot of the, just the same stuff that I do, you know, like Audacity and Levelator and and things. You know, you sort of at least I sort of imagine that maybe the big time podcasts have some secret, you know, secret knowledge, secret equipment or something that they all use. But uh, so it's kind of interesting to just see, like, no, I use Audacity. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My, my, my brother, I mean, this is a through line throughout the whole book, but, uh, my, my brothers are, uh, big fans of, uh, sort of more costly measure, not costly. I mean, they use Reaper, which is not like expensive or anything like that, but, uh, I, I've just been using audacity. I mean, for as long as I've been doing podcasting and at this point it's like a, it's an extension of my arm at (laughs) this point. And the idea of, of switching to something else at, you know, now is it's it seems preposterous to me. Not only that, I think it's easy to use and it's free. So like if you're getting started making podcasts, then for God's sake, like just use Audacity. Anything you can do to like remove any kind of potential stumbling block for yourself uh is a good thing. I think, especially if you I, I'm certainly that type of person where uh, the smallest inconvenience I can turn into a reason not to do something <laughs> or to talk myself out of trying something new. Uh, and uh, I, I, I would hope that this book uh, tries to ameliorate as many of those potential stumbling blocks as, uh, as, as, as we can. Yeah, and it was interesting, too, because, I mean, uh, you know, even after doing this for 10 years, there was stuff in here that I never uh, knew. And even in, in Audacity, like, I knew that you could adjust the playback speed, and it never mm-hmm. occurred to me that you could just edit faster that way yeah, i guess you, you play it at 1.5 speed or something and get through a, a pass oh yeah faster. i started at what well, i started at 1.5 but if i'm being honest i've that has t- that has uh crept upward <laughs> i would say over time it's probably closer to two times at this point um but i don't know it's it's i'm i'm pretty used to it we have hired a uh, a producer now uh to to work on uh, most of our shows at this point. So I don't do uh, quite as much editing these days, uh, which is fortunate because I, I, I don't know. I feel like 
my perception of time had started to change the more that I listened back <laughs> to our show at two times speed, trying to edit it that way. Well, in the acknowledgments, you, you mentioned this sort of whole team of people, you say, um, there were like seven people, like how many, could you just talk about what are people doing behind the scenes on the podcast? Yeah, we've, uh, we have, uh, hired a, a, a bunch of folks to, uh, we we have certain areas of expertise in, in making the, the shows, but we make a lot of shows and we try to do a lot of stuff. And uh, on, on top of that, there's stuff that we are just not good at. Um, a lot of sort of managerial uh, stuff. So we, uh, we, we have a few people. Amanda, our business manager, is like, uh, we could not do what we do without her uh she is uh when i was late for this interview she is the person you email to make sure that i am <laughs> going to show up for the interview uh but she, i mean she is uh i mean we hired our boss essentially it's it's what we did and uh uh it it has really changed everything um and then you know we were sort of doing our merch stuff you know hooker by crook and making that up as we go along and now we uh have a a, you know, a merch manager and designer, uh, Sarah McKay. And then we have uh, uh, another Sarah uh, Davis who uh, helps us out with social media stuff because, you know, we're doing a lot of shows now and have a, a website and are doing all these things. And so managing, uh, you know, all those different channels is 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 a, a challenge. Um and I, I, yeah, we have, we, have, and then we I get, like I mentioned, just hired a, a producer, uh, Rachel to, to, uh, edit the bulk of our shows. Um, it, it was kind of a question of just like, these were, these were things that we were doing with varying levels of success that we are now, uh, doing with much greater levels <laughs> of success because we have much more competent people, uh, handling it. But it's also like a question of time management, um, where, you know, the more time that we spend, uh, you know, figuring out a, a a merch plan or coordinating with our our uh, merch vendor uh, or handling social media stuff uh, was you know time that we couldn't spend actually making shows. Um, so yeah, that's it's been a weird transition. I mean, this is something that we've only I forget when we Amanda was the first person that we hired um, because we. I didn't know how to hire other people. <laughs> we had to hire Amanda to tell us how to hire herself. Um, uh, I think that was just like in 2018, I want to say maybe. Uh, so this is a fairly recent, you know, thing. Um, but I mean, also, like I mentioned before, both my brothers have two kids each. I'm about to have my second. Uh, me, me and my wife are expecting like at the end of this month. And so like our, our, you know, the amount of time that we can spend during any given day, especially during the middle of a you know pandemic where everybody is just kind of homebound, uh, it was you know we couldn't we could not do what we do by ourselves, uh, and you know not only that, like the people that we have hired to do to do that stuff are just way better at it, <laughs> and it has it has it I, it is indescribable how much it has improved the the quality of our lives, and I think the quality of uh, the, the stuff we make, uh, and our ability to make that stuff without like completely breaking down, uh, like all of that stuff is, is, is because we have been lucky enough to hire some folks. 
Well, right. So like when you're talking about The Adventure Zone, you say The Adventure Zone is the most exhausting show that we create. Before we record, we have no idea what each episode is going to sound like when it's finished. Mm-hmm. Um, could you talk more about that? Like what um, what is it about the show that makes it so hard to uh, anticipate? Yeah, I guess that that's true of all our shows and that like none of them are, are scripted. Um, but Adventure Zone is... It's it is more exhausting to create narrative than it is to create uh, a conversation, and and for that reason alone, Adventure Zone is 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 our most exhausting show. But with Adventure Zone, you know, one person runs the runs the game, runs the campaign. Right now, it's Travis, uh, and the other people are players in the game and in the campaign. And there's no knowing like how the players are going to respond to what the the GM sort of throws at their feet. And then on top of that, you have this huge randomized variable of, you know, dice rolls sort of then dictating like how those plans go. And so like improvisationally speaking, like it just branches off kind of infinitely really quick. Uh, And so, yeah, I feel like the pressure is a bit higher when you sit down at, at the table to record an actual play podcast than, than it is when you sit down to record uh, a, a, a goof podcast and that, that I don't know, those stakes are sort of increased, I think, artificially by the fact that like things could go really bad. Like you'd have a string of really bad dice rolls. And then all of a sudden, maybe the story's not going in the way that you thought it was going to go. And now you have to sort of figure out how to course correct a bit. Um, yeah, there's just there is a lot of there's a lot of uh, chaos, I think, in, in doing a, a podcast like that that can be. Very intimidating. Yeah. Well, so yeah, actually, so after I read Everybody Has a Podcast Except You, I went and got the first three Adventure Zone graphic novels. So I've just read those. And um, and they're really cool. And I liked particularly, you know, because I've, I've played Dungeons & Dragons a fair amount. And I really liked the the magical items that you were giving to the party. So just a couple examples. There's an axe that it can cut down a tree in one blow. There's a wand where it can make you switch places with whoever you're pointing it at. There's this little it's right. called scuttle buddy, a little like mechanical beetle that you can use as a spy, you know, for eavesdropping, and then a, a magic fan called the Gustmaster Five Thousand that can create winds blowing in different directions. And I Correct. like that a lot because those really, it seems to me, give the players a lot of um, uh, latitude for creativity. When if it's if it's just like a you know gauntlets plus five strength or something, right? Or, you know, yeah. Yeah, and what was really great about all those things is that it was a uh, all of those were fan submitted. We had like a fantasy store that we stocked with stuff that like our audience would like mail us, like send us an email with like an idea for a magic item. So that is how we like stocked up all that stuff. Uh, and so you know, it's cool for them too to be listening to the show and and be kind of a part of that of the of the world based on. Uh, the fact that they is some you know silly way that Justin thought to utilize you know whatever item they are directly kind of responsible for that was was a really sort of cool thing to be able to do. There's a part in one of the books where you you as the dungeon master appear as a character in the graphic novel, and there's a part where you say um, you, you ring a little bell and you say that bell means you have remembered to use one of your items in Adventure Zone first. I don't know if that is that a joke or were you like actually were, were, the, were the players actually sort of forgetting that they had these items that they could use? Oh no, that's not a joke. They definitely were forgetting all the time that they had the things that they had uh, because at a certain point, Adventure Zone went bi-weekly, and 
I, I, we make a lot of stuff and we got a lot of stuff going on in our lives. So you forget very quickly, like, hey, two Thursdays ago, <laughs> I got a sword from a dragon or whatever. <laughs> uh, no, yes, abs- absent-mindedness is, I would say, the the uh, the enemy of sort of biweekly creative productions. <laughs> There's also sort of this running joke where Merle, um, who's this this dwarf, has um, he's sort of always cheating and always you know not keeping track of what spell slots he's used and and pretending he has more spells than he does. Could you just talk about what is like what's the story behind that? Oh sure, Merle is played by my father, uh, Clint, Clint McElroy, uh, who uh, I don't know. It's a running gag that he doesn't necessarily, despite the fact that we've. Uh, played D&D and other RPGs now for uh, almost seven years, uh, just doesn't understand, has not really uh, bothered to learn the rules of the game. Uh, And so he will try to do things that are um, impossible through the lens of uh, sort of a traditional interpretation of of Dungeons & Dragons rules. Uh, And so, you know, that was one of many things that uh, was kind of a goof in the show that is about us and our personalities that we tried to figure out how to like include in the graphic novels where our personalities and our our like characters except for me I guess I'm in the and the book is this weird sort of omniscient uh, outside the narrative narrator uh, you know Justin and Travis and Dad aren't in the book so that was just sort of a facet of Dad's personality that felt very true to the character Merle. And, and so that's, that's why that is what it is. <laughs> uh, there's also a part where Merle says uh, to one of the characters, perhaps you'd like to read this chick tract, uh, which if people, yeah. people don't know is a reference to, there's this, this guy, Jack chick who came up with all these sort of mostly religious sort of oriented pamphlets that um, Exclu- kind of- I would, I would, I would go so far as to say exclusively deeply religiously okay. oriented <laughs> pamphlets. <laughs> Yeah, so I don't remember seeing any of that. Were like, and here's what I here's what I think about, uh, you know, uh, jazz music. It's like it's it was all like, hey, D and D is witchcraft, and uh, if you play it, you will become a demon, or a demon will enter you. I forget. It's been a while since I've read Chick Tracks. They used to hand them out at the church that we grew up going to. Yeah, I was. I haven't. I have. <laughs> I don't. I'm not exhaustively familiar with all of them, but I wanted to hedge my bets there because it seems likely. It, it seemed possible to me that some of them were more like conspiracy theories or something like that. But um. Oh yeah, hugely, hugely that, hugely like, hugely racist and like just really, just really terrible stuff. Really, and and drawn in this like weirdly hyper realistic way where just like everybody looks really busted. Like all the people and all the chick, like the people who have been filled with dungeons and dragons demons look like uh I, I, they they look just so wild-eyed and uh sickly and yeah it's a they they are grotesque grotesque little things so you said that they used to hand them out at your church yeah well they wouldn't hand them out there was like a uh like a rack of them that you could that you could grab. Uh, I think they had them like in the like fellowship hall where, where they would do, um, they would like serve meals up there sometimes. I don't know why I'm reminiscing about the specific geography of our, (laughs) of our, of our Southern Baptist church right now, but that's now you've got me going down a a deep well. (laughs) So, so what was that like for your family? Cause was your, I don't know, I guess you maybe weren't into, you weren't playing Dungeons and Dragons at that time, but you were, were you into fantasy and science fiction or? 
Yeah, sure. I mean, I was uh, my entryway into sort of uh, the 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 culture was was uh, were video games, uh, and that continues to be sort of like my biggest uh, you know cultural interest. That's why I, I I wrote about games for a long time, um, and. So, yeah, my dad was definitely more comics. My brothers, too, were, were into comics and games. I mean, we did. We we consumed sort of everything pretty voraciously. And so uh, there were there were large swaths of, I feel like, what was uh, com- coming down. I remember the sermon about that, like, sort of uh, obliquely referenced Pokemon. Like, not in the way that you saw in the news of just, like, preachers, like, stabbing a knife into a plush Pikachu belly, but just saying, like, hey, better watch out for that. And me sitting in the audience, like, playing Pokemon (laughs) on the Game Boy Color I was trying to, like, very discreetly keep below Pew level. Um, uh, Yeah, it definitely bumped against that. And, uh, you know, I think we were all on the same page of, like, okay, well, that's, that's not... Those chick tracks are the chick tracks were always a novelty to us more than they were like in any way prescriptive. <laughs> um, so uh, in, also in the book, you mentioned you say that Patrick Rothfuss's King Killer Chronicle series are the best books ever. So how did you? Yeah, they're really good. They're really how did good. You discover books. those. Uh, I mean, I discovered those through my 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 family is very much the uh, sort of way that i hear about most things like most you know tv shows or movies or um especially sort of books i feel like sci-fi fantasy uh fiction is has become a big interest of mine when like it really wasn't even when we were doing that original season of adventure zone like i was not a big fiction reader um and i think king killer chronicles uh, kind of opened my eyes to, I mean, I read, I, you know, I grew up in the era of Harry Potter. And so like, I, I, uh, just like every other sort of teenager at the time, like I read all those books, but I, my interest in, in fiction, fantasy storytelling didn't really ever evolve beyond that until I think I, I, I read Name of the Wind. Uh, and I just like tore that thing apart and, uh, yeah, that was sort of that. That was that. I I got to meet uh, Pat a couple times now on the uh, the the Joko cruise, uh, which is a big uh, voyage that a lot of sort of nerd folks uh, go on. And yeah, that that was kind of that. But these days, I've been I've been trying to broaden my my uh, fantasy fiction horizons. Been been reading. Uh, uh, Brandon Sanderson for the first time, which I'm very late to that. Very late to that party. Um, so, yeah. I mean, you know, the, the um, my favorite author growing up was Robert Asprin. He wrote this series of humorous fantasy novels called the the Myth series. And it's right. sort of in the vein of, um, you know, like Piers Anthony and Terry Pratchett and stuff like that. Um, yeah, that was – I feel like it just missed me. Like my brother was big into Xanth and uh, dad was was uh, really big into like Discworld stuff. I mean my dad would like we, – when we would go on vacation, he would always like uh, on the MapQuest directions like have a detour to a paperback <laughs> shop that we would go into for not not an exaggeration, like maybe an hour and a half, two hours while he just like stalked up and then would like bring all of those 
all of those back home and have like a, a, a new hoard to last him until the the next summer that we could go on vacation somewhere with a big paperback shop. Um, so we were we were uh, you know drowning in 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 fantasy fiction. Uh, it's just I was I was much more invested in my Super Nintendo than I was in uh, you know book learning. Yeah. Well, how about the like the Dungeons and Dragons novels, like the Dragonlance or R.A. Salvatore? Were any of you reading those? No, I don't think. I mean, um, I would just go ahead and assume that my dad has read all of those. <laughs> um, uh, I'm sure if you asked my dad about Drizzt, he could probably conjure up the correct answer of who that is. Uh, probably more so than I could do because I have not. Uh, again, I am sort of a only a budding uh, fantasy fiction reader. Um, but yeah, those that, I mean, D and D in general was just not a part of our, not a part of our lives when we, uh, I, 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 Travis and I played fourth edition together like once or twice and I lived in Cincinnati for a year. And during that year I like found a, a hobby shop that, you, you know, you could get a group together. And so I played with strangers basically for, I don't know, maybe five or six sessions, and then that was it. Uh, fast forward to 2014 when 5th edition was coming out, and I wrote about it for Polygon and was like, man, I really want to play this. And we needed to record some bonus episodes for when Justin was going to be out after him and his wife had their first their first kid, and that's what the first episode of Adventure Zone was. Like, It just came out of like really wanting to play Dungeons & Dragons together for the, for the first time. Um, but it was not a... It was not like a, a, a thing that we were, um, you know, was was in our lives growing up. Yeah. Well, I mean, you should definitely check out the, the early, you know, the first couple of Dragonlance novels, because the, the first couple, they actually were based on a campaign, you know, that, that Larry Elmore and Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman and were all in. And one of the things that always stuck in my mind was that, you know, they're one of the major characters is this gully dwarf named Boopoo. And one of the the wizard casts charm on her, and then she becomes part of you know, like part of the story. And that was never intended. That was just you know something that developed <laughs> during play. And so it was That's making wild. me think of that in your in the first um, adventure zone when they cast charm on the bugbear, who then like keeps coming back. Um, it's just funny how those things that you know, like you were saying earlier, that the role of the dice can just you know take the story in a completely unexpected direction. I find that stuff so fascinating um, and, and should be better about like actually tracking that stuff down. Uh, I've, I remember hearing about Record of Lodos War, uh, which was this like the same thing, right? It was like a long running series of like manga and anime and games and a bunch of stuff that came out of a D&D campaign. Uh, and it spawned this entire like franchise of like Japanese fantasy fiction uh, out of somebody's D and D campaign, which I guess is technically what Adventure Zone is. If you if you want, except like I don't know, I feel like it's I feel like it was way cooler when that stuff happened back in like 1987 than it than it does happening now when like everything's a multimedia franchise. Yeah, well, it was interesting because you know the first uh, first of these graphic novels, it's a fairly traditional Dungeons and Dragons adventure where they're fighting goblins or goblins in a mine and so on. And then the second right. one is like a, a murder mystery on a train, and then the third one's kind of like a like a racing um, thing where where the world starts to seem much more like much less of a medieval kind of world and more of a like magical modern world. Yeah, I think that, but I mean that completely came out of the show 
where, you know, with each passing, uh, you know, arc with each passing adventure, like I felt a little bit more comfortable, like trying, trying something like that out or feeling more comfortable trying to like flex the rules of Dungeons and Dragons in, in a way where we could sort of tackle other, um, other genres. And and I'm, I I don't want to make it sound like we're the only ones or first ones or anything to like think about that because, you know, wizards does stuff like that. I think, uh, I'm excited for candle keep mysteries, which is the new book coming out, which is like just a bunch of one-off like mysteries to solve as these like one, one shot D and D campaigns. Uh, I, I don't, I've never like really played a campaign book outside of the lost minds of fan Delver, which is like the original fifth edition beginner's guide thing, which was like the first two episodes of, of adventure zone was playing through that. Um, but you know, here they are with their, their, their book of mysteries. And then there's, uh, you know, Curse of Strahd is a more gothic, you know, they tackle other genres. It is, it is part of the system, you know, allow, allows for you to do that. But, um, yeah, I think, I think I realized that it would just be a lot more fun if we did not necessarily respect the rules fully. And, you know, anytime I watched a movie like Fast and the Furious that I liked, I could just, or, or Mad Max Fury Road, I could just be like, yeah, well, let's just Dungeons and Dragons that right up. Uh, so, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of why we started to branch out. It's funny when you talk about respecting the rules, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I interviewed John Peterson, who's a big expert in the history of Dungeons and Dragons. And, mm. um, he was in, in his most recent book, there was this story from, I think a convention in, um, in the UK where, um, where Gar- Gary Gygax reportedly said, uh, I only roll the dice to, you know, make noise for the players to hear. And then I just like make up what happens. And, yeah, that's and a good, yeah. Like fall si- like dead silent. You know, you could hear a pin drop. And um, that's a relief to hear uh, because that is, uh, I mean, you don't even hear the, we do dice rolls digitally now. So you don't even get that. We're essentially just making stuff up for <laughs> long stretches of a time. Well, I mean, one thing that happens in this story is that it looks like the characters are going to all die and then some other, Mm -hmm. you know, character will come in and save them at the last minute. Do you have that sort of like, do you have those characters kind of like waiting in the wings to swoop in or like, is that part of your planning or are you just kind of making that up on the fly? Yeah, I mean, we're definitely making that up. Uh, You know, that's one of those things that is very, as a DM, is very handy to have in your back pocket in case the dice rolls get real bad. Um, I think to varying degrees, we have been hesitant to really hit each other during, you know, during, during our campaigns, like really hesitant to, you know, kill a character or something like that. Um, and so I think that that is a, a lazy is not a kind way of sort of framing <laughs> it, but like, you know, a, a, a fail safe that can be there for you when the, the dice rolls maybe aren't there for you in the way that you would hope them to be. Yeah. I want to ask you about, so the first uh, graphic novel starts off with this quote from Patrick, or this uh, sort of preface from Patrick Rothfuss, and he says, I've listened to the entirety of The Adventure Zone more than three times yeah. over the past eight months. So that's pretty... Uh, that's too much, though. <laughs> that's, I heard that, and I was like, that's it's it's that's 69 episodes. It's like 75 hours or something of, that's too much. I got worried about, about Patrick <laughs> Rothfuss hearing that. No, he that's should be working on his like, book. Yeah, well, we I I would never ever say that to him. Uh he yeah, it was incredibly uh incredibly kind and kind of mind-boggling to to hear that. 
Who else? You, you said you've gone on these cruises. Like, well, I'll, I'll mention that because there's blurbs on these books and, and on the, the new book as well from like Adam Savage, John Hodgman, Justin Roiland, Tank Green, Felicia Day, Joseph Fink. Are those people that you've interacted with uh, in your travels? Yeah, it's I mean, it's uh, I, I mentioned PodCon earlier. I think I would say more. I, 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 I met a lot of those folks or we all met a lot of those folks through that and. You know, it, it, we've been doing uh, we've been doing this for uh, uh, you know almost eleven years now, and just we've we've been to a lot of things, and so you 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 meet people here and there. It's weird. It's like that's that's a facet of this whole enterprise that has never come naturally to me necessarily. Of of uh, uh, I don't know the word I'm looking for. Being good at. Um, uh, collaboration, I guess, or like uh, communication with other people in the field. And I think that that sort of stems largely from like the, uh, from just anxiety in general uh, and nervousness and talking to people that you don't know. Um, but I, I, I think events like, uh, like PodCon and, and the, the, the Joko Cruise are, you know, when you get on a ship with somebody, for for like nine days and you're out in the middle of the ocean it's there's nowhere to hide you kind of have to talk to, to to folks and be like hey i've always really enjoyed your work ah, i'm leaving <laughs> um yeah it's uh it's it's it, yeah i this is not like a i i hope this does not come off as a flex but like we you know when we used to do live shows before all the 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 unpleasantness uh we we would get people whose reaction to us was that like nervousness to the point of like i don't know how to talk to you i don't know how to interact with you uh because i like your work so much which is kind of like my mo with with most folks um but again like you know when you're when you're on a, a ship in the middle of uh international waters it gets a little bit easier to break the ice so to speak <laughs> well i mean um you know because for this podcast i'm i'm naturally a pretty introverted shy person and you know i don't like talking on the phone and stuff and and so for this podcast i've really had to over 10 years i've had to you know really uh just get more comfortable uh talking to people i don't know because I, I do it all the time um yeah but i mean your, your podcasts are mostly with people that you know very well right and then occasionally you have guests or yeah it's a nice life hack <laughs> uh, to to just do it with your brothers because then you can just then you can just talk uh, the normal BS that you have talked for you know several decades now. Um, yeah, I mean we have guests on sometimes, but like the 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 nerves don't necessarily ever f like fully go away um, because you know usually we have people on the show whose work we really love and who's who we think are really cool, and I don't. It, I don't know. It's never gotten easy, I would say, to uh, to to talk to folks like that um, for so many reasons that would be, you know, uh, t probably too numerous to get into. But uh, it's it's part imposter syndrome, part like I have no right you know, <laughs> being in the same. I have no no right sharing uh, the same oxygen or I guess virtual oxygen, since I don't see anybody anymore uh, <laughs> with with this person. Um, but you do kind of have to get better at talking to people. I would say maybe that's the the biggest personal change that the podcast had brought, especially once we started doing live shows, uh, is you, you you meet a lot of, of, of people. You meet a lot of like fans of your work and 
neither of us in that interaction are equipped to necessarily uh, hold, carry a conversation on. Uh, and that's, I hope, comes off as a slam against uh, myself as well. Uh, and so, you know, somebody's got to start talking. And I think you do that enough over the course of 10 years and you, you, you get a little bit more comfortable talking to strangers. But, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's, yeah, I, it's, it never comes quite naturally, I would say. So who would be some of the people that you've had on the show that have been like, you've had the most nerves, um, talking to? Uh, I mean, we just had, um, we, we have a new theme song for My Brother, My Brother and Me that was written by uh, an artist named Montaigne, and she came on our show, uh, and she's rad and so talented, and, and since like we started talking to her about writing the theme song, I've been listening to her music nonstop. Uh, which was a huge mistake because then, you know, then we have her on the show and it's like, oh shit, I'm talking to the person who's been, uh, you know, that wrote all that music that I've been listening to who is so like enormously talented. Uh, and even though she was like so nice and, 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 and great to talk to, it's, uh, there is something about, uh, I mean, I'm, I, I am not, I, I'm fairly shy, I would say around, uh, most folks, but especially folks who um, I have given uh, sort of part of my life in that way of of like I I your work has become something that uh, is is you know a big part of my of my day right I was listening to you like your music is the music that I listen to now when I'm driving in the car or doing something there is something I don't know there's something sort of additionally intimidating about that um, yeah. Yeah. And you've had, uh, I think Patrick Rothfuss has been on, right? And are there any, like, what what was it like talking to him and other people kind of in the fantasy and science fiction um, space? I'm trying to think. I mean, we've had Pat on the show, I think, a couple times. I don't, uh, I, 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 I am blanking. Uh, and whoever I am, definitely forgetting. I, I hope it is, uh, it can be understood because we've been doing this for so many years and not that, uh, Every guest is not a, a special, <laughs> precious gemstone uh, to me. Um, I don't know. I feel like Pat Patrick Rothfuss is easier to talk to actually about that because I think he's kind of in the same boat about a lot of uh, that. That I, I, you know, that's another reason why th- events like uh, like PodCon, honestly, most cons, right, where uh, authors or game designers or podcasters or whatever show up, like. Uh, most, most folks are operating on about that same, same wavelength. Very rare, I would say, is the author, podcaster, game designer, whatever, who is just like instantly, automatically the most like gregarious (laughs) sort of like big personality. I think you get that way with a certain amount of like confidence in your, in your work and a certain amount of like experience interacting with, with, uh, fans and other creators. But, uh, yeah, I, I, it's, it's a sliding scale. It's, it's funny. There's a, uh, an author, um, uh, I was friends with in, in New York, uh, Lara Donnelly, uh, a fantasy author. And she's mm-hmm. like every night she's like out at some cafe or bar or restaurant or something. And, uh, I was talking to her publicist one time and, and the publicist like, it's so nice having an author who's an extrovert. And <laughs> it's like, that, that's like the one person she's ever had, you know, who's an extrovert. <laughs> You say, I mean, yeah, I'm sure there's others. I mean, there's a lot. I, I, I feel like you're making it sound like I am so deeply connected with like a budget. Like there are so many authors that I have not met that I've only heard through, like heard legend of, 
where like, you know, uh, I remember I was backstage uh, at an event, like signing posters and complaining about it. And somebody was like, oh, well, uh, you know, Neil Gaiman signs a billion books an hour when he's on tour. And it's like, oh, oh shit. <laughs> I don't know how someone does that and manages to, you know, have a functioning hand at the end of it. <laughs> um, it, it was actually interesting in the book how you um, you say that you have like the um, the Apple analytics that tell you where your listeners are and then you are able to plan your live events um, based on that, where you know where your fans are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we don't necessarily. Uh, we we have a a, a a a booking agency that helps us with that stuff. They they are the ones who utilize that data. We are not nearly sort of uh, analytical enough, I would say, to make any of that stuff be particularly useful. But yeah, I mean, we don't. We can't. Uh, I mean, we can't tour at all right now, obviously. But you know. Even before these times, uh, it, it we can't do like long tours. We were doing like a, maybe a weekend every six weeks or something like that. Um, so you have to be fairly judicious about 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 where you go. Um, yeah, that's honestly the biggest sort of uh, determining factor for for how we do shows. I mean, there's certain cities that like we know we have a big fan base in and we will continue to go back and, and do shows there. Like what, um, what cities do you have the biggest fan bases? Oh, uh, you know, like Boston's always big, you know, big New York city, obviously, uh, Chicago, like some things that aren't particularly huge surprises there. Um, but Portland's always been like really great for us. Seattle too. Um, we did a show in, uh, San Diego. That was, I mean, we do a lot of San Diego Comic-Con stuff. Um, yeah, you know, it, none, none, I would say that are too, it's not like, oh, and then in Des Moines, there's like a huge, there may be a big, if you live in Des Moines and enjoy my work, I hope that uh, that, that may have sounded mean. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, I would say most of the, the bigger cities are not, uh, huge, huge surprises. Atlanta. We've done so many shows in Atlanta at this point. It was funny, you know, when Facebook ads were new, just as an experiment, I started just buying Facebook ads. And at the time, it was very cheap to buy ads like in, you know, in certain areas of the world. And so I was, and I was like, I don't care where, where in the world people are, you know, like a listener is a listener. Right. And so um, so there was a point in time where we had more people from Zagreb, Croatia, who had liked our Facebook page than any, <laughs> other, any other city. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, I don't know how to get back to the conversation about we hired somebody who has experienced with social media because like i don't know literally everything you just said sounded totally made up to me <laughs> but i'm shit i understood like i don't know i bought um like baby shampoo the other day on amazon and now facebook only serves me as like hey you have a baby coming up and it's like Shh, how did you know that <laughs> um and rather than educate myself on how those particular algorithms function we you know we have hired somebody who's very, very talented so that I can re- continue to use a, m- a majority of my brain space on like the names of first generation Pokemon and <laughs> other useless detritus. Yeah. Well, speaking of cities, you live in Austin now, right? True. Yes. So what, uh, how, what, what brought you to Austin? So I was, uh, let me think. I, so I, I grew up in Huntington, West Virginia, uh, with the, the rest of my fam. And after I graduated, I went to college there at Marshall University. And after I graduated at that point, I was already working for Joystick, which was, uh, AOL's old video game blog. 
So I kind of like could go wherever I, I wanted because I was working from home. So I went to Cincinnati for a year and lived there with Travis. Uh, and then I moved to Chicago because I'd always really liked going there. Uh, and while I was living in Chicago, it was, let me think, it was the winter of 2010 into 2011, which was like a horrific winter for Chicago. There was like snow on the ground from like October to April that just like never really went away. It snowed on my <laughs> birthday in 2011 in Chicago, which is April 17th. <laughs> like that was, that was bonkers to me. So I remember being like, I, ha I gotta get out of here. Uh, so I went to visit a friend. I came down in March for uh, South by Southwest, and uh, I just had an, like an incredible time. And uh, you know, I was already looking for a new place to live in Chicago, so I was thinking about maybe moving away. But like, I met you know most of the friends that I still have to this day. I met my wife on that trip, so it was uh, it was it was one of those sort of incredible, all the stars aligned situations, and uh, I kind of couldn't not move to Austin. And uh, now it's, you know, I've lived here since, since this will be my 10th year. Wow. Living in Austin. And uh, it's to the point where like, I can't imagine, there are too many things I would miss terribly if I moved somewhere else. So I think this is my, my forever home. Yeah. Yeah. Cause my, uh, my girlfriend's doing a MFA in creative writing at Texas state. So we just moved to Austin, you know, a year or two. Oh, ago. And, Congra congr congratulations. Oh, thank you. But it's, it, a it's, it's a lovely city. Yeah, that's what I hear. I mean, because, you know, it's sort of our, our, us moving here sort of coincided with the pandemic. So we haven't really we've kind of been locked in our apartment the whole time. So everyone that I interview who lives in Austin, I'm kind of like, so what's it like? What's, what's it like? Here? What's there to do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's been a rough year for uh, I mean, it's been a rough year for everyone. But uh, yeah, you, you moved here at an opportune time. Austin's definitely more fun when uh, you can, you know go swimming or whatever uh it's certainly more fun when there's not uh, half a foot of snow on the ground oh that completely God. devastates the entire infrastructure of the state um yeah it's a way it's a way cooler city to be in when stuff like that is not true but so just sort of in under ordinary circumstances what kind of stuff would you be doing in austin that's kind of fantasy and science fiction related <sighs> Not a lot, honestly. Like, not a. Uh, 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 I feel like a lot of my kind of pop cultural interests are things that I sort of indulge in online and like share with my my family and my 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 like friends online. Um, but I don't like go to a lot of. I live pretty close to. I used to live like really close to Dragon Slayer, which is this like incredible. Uh, you know, hobby hobby shop, board game store, comic book shop, uh, up in sort of north central Austin. Uh, and I, I I used to sort of swing swing by there and go to like events there. I played D and D there uh once and have done like a a D and D uh workshop with uh, Austin Bat Cave, which is like a creative writing uh nonprofit here in Austin that my wife is is now on the board of. Uh, and it's like a rad community, but like, I just, uh, I mean, dead ass, I don't leave the house that much anymore. <laughs> uh, because I, you know, I, 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 I work from home. And so that sort of necessitates me being at the house for, uh, the, the working day. And then, uh, I'm, I'm then home with my, my kid and, and wife just kind of hanging out. So I, I'm, I'm not usually ducking away to, 
uh, swing by the the comic shop every Wednesday or uh, go to go to a reading or something like that. Uh, you know, I used to go to movies all the time back back in the before times. Some real nerd ass movies. Uh, back at the, the 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 Alamo Draft House. I certainly miss all that. Um, but that's that's you know that's maybe the extent of it. Is Adventure Zone at the point now where if you if you go to a like a hobby shop or gaming shop or something that people would recognize you or since it's audio does that not happen as much? <laughs> that that covers me a lot. A lot of the time it's not until I start speaking that uh uh people will uh f- figure out that it, it it is me. Um you know, yes, if I go to a if I go to Dragon Slayer, I go to any comic book shop or hobby shop in town. Uh, I am much more likely, I would say, to be recognized by somebody there. Um, but it is, it is, uh, yeah, it differs, I guess, any, any given day, any, any place that, any given place that I go. Um, but it's always like, it's always great. Like, even though I am, uh, not the most gregarious person, I would say it is sort of, it, it, I mean, it's always rad to talk to somebody who likes the stuff that you, that you do. Uh, and, we don't have a lot of like real shithead fans <laughs> that are that like, you know, don't respect boundaries. And there've been a lot of times where I've been with my son and I've had to, you know, say like, sorry, I can't like, you know, take a picture or something right now. Uh, and nobody's ever, you know, been a, 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 a jerk about it. Um, so yes, it, it, it happens sometimes, but you know, it hasn't happened now in, you know, over a year since the pandemic happened. So, uh, yeah, my ego is could really use a a boost. I mean, there's a section in the book about how, where you sort of recommend, like the three of you sort of recommends that if somebody sends a private message criticizing your podcast, that, you know, you might respond to it. And, and that oftentimes if, if you just respond to somebody in a friendly way, they'll be like, Oh, I'm, I didn't mean it. Actually, I love your show and so on, but that you, if someone, you know, criticizes you on Twitter or some social media platform in public that you're better off just kind of not responding to it. Um, I thought that that seems like pretty sound advice to me. Um, uh, yeah, it can be, it can certainly be tough. And even that is like, uh, it's not a, it's not a, co- that, that advice doesn't cover you for every situation. Like there are a lot of criticisms that are incredibly important and help you kind of recognize gaps in your human decency or like gaps in your technical skill or gaps in your, you know, you know, whatever, uh, that it, 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 it would be, uh, it would be terrible to like shut all of that out. Um, but that's just something that you kind of have to get, uh, that it's, it's another sort of experience that you accumulate making things for an online audience for as, as, as long as we have. And I'm not saying we, I don't think anybody can do it perfectly, but there is a signal to noise like ratio that you have to kind of um, set for yourself uh, because a lot of, yeah, like it says in the, in, in the book, like a lot of people uh, will just kind of try to take you down without like actually thinking that you are ever going to receive that feedback uh and and then once you you sort of make it known like hey i i i I saw this i hear you uh then it kind of changes the the formula dramatically 
but that, again, that's not true for everyone. And that's not true for every, every occasion. Uh, so that's, I mean, I'm not on Twitter, uh, anymore. I, I dipped out of there, uh, a couple of years ago now, I think late 2018. I think my username still references 2018. <laughs> uh, it says great. Yeah. I was Griffin's wondering cool about 2018 that. Yeah. Tweets. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've popped in there a couple times, I think around the election is when I got a little bit spicy on Twitter, but it's not a, uh, it's not a facet of my, of my life because, uh, I don't, I don't particularly enjoy it. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about you, uh, you wrote a Star Wars short story for an anthology called From a Certain Point of View. And I was just curious, uh, if you think you'll write any more, uh, prose fiction. Um, probably, uh, there's... There, I mean, it's not something I ever considered for myself, uh, like, uh, you know, writing a, 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 a novel or anything like that. Um, be, because like, I don't read a lot, I, I don't read a lot of fiction, uh, which is something that I've been doing a lot more of since, since quarantine started, uh, and have found it to be like, I'm enjoy it is I'm making more time in my life for reading fantasy fiction uh which means you know spending less time with other hobbies like I'm not playing as many video games these days uh and I I have sort of made time for myself at the end of every day to like you know read read a book and because of that like I'm getting a little bit more interested in it but like it seems so hard huh to like <laughs> it seems it's hard huh to like write a book and uh actually finish it uh, and I've definitely had a few like projects I have on my computer. I downloaded Scrivener, which is this like, um, it's just a, it's a very, very fancy, you know, word processor or whatever that helps you sort of keep a project on, on track. Uh, and I have probably like a dozen like projects like in my, in my, on my desktop of just like ideas that I've started to write down and maybe taken a pass out. I think the furthest I've gotten, I wrote like, I think I wrote like a hundred pages of like a graphic novel once. Uh, I did that during mostly during the pandemic, but it's uh, I, I never quite finished them because it's uh, I I enjoyed working in the mediums I work in so much. Like I, I and and if there's room to improve there, like uh, it's something I've kind of had to become comfortable in, especially after we finished that first season of Adventure Zone, which popped off in a, a major way, and. All of a sudden, there was this like pressure to do something, you know, quote unquote legitimate with that momentum. Uh, so it, it, then it did become like, when are you going to write a book? When are you going to make a, 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 you know, when are you going to develop a TV show or when are you going to do? And there were so many of those things that we were just kind of spinning our wheels and not really investing our time into the podcasts. And once we started doing that again, we realized like, wait, this is the thing we do. And this is the thing we really enjoy doing. And this is the thing that there is, you know, still infinite room to improve at. So like, I don't know, that's, that's, that's always the thing that I come back to is I will, uh, I go through periods of my life where I will have a little bit more free time to work on whatever it is I want to work on. And these days it's all been just sort of audio stuff. I've been working on music a lot more. I do music for the shows and I want to improve that. Or, um, you know, I have ideas for a new uh, Adventure Zone season. Like I will write those rather than if I have an idea for a story, it's like, how can I use that in the podcast 
rather than like, how can I do a, do something else with it? Because if I can enrich this thing that I already do, uh, and, and get better at it and make it better. Like that's the thing I, I feel like I should be doing. Yeah. You know, I spent about 15 years writing short stories and, um, you know, and it would be like a year from the time that you wrote it to the time it would come out in a, in a book or a magazine or something. And yeah. then with a podcast, you know, you, you record it and then it's up, you know, with, within a few days. And I'd yeah. like to get back to writing fiction, but it's just hard to go back to the, hard to think about going back to that. That pace. That delay, yeah. It's, gratification. It's, it, the Adventure Zone graphic novels have been eye-opening for that because uh, it takes a long time to it takes a long time to write those. But then, you know, in the case of a graphic novel, our our artist Carrie Peach then has to like draw all the bullshit that we say, <laughs> and that takes much, much, much longer. And so, like, the books are out a year and change after we have like finished writing the script, which is like our you know our part. Uh, uh, and, and that is like always a wild thing. We've been doing interviews for, uh, uh, Crystal Kingdom, which is the new, uh, Adventure Zone graphic novel adaptation. It's the fourth arc from the show. Yeah. Wait, is that right? I think. That's right. Yeah. yeah, I think so. Uh, and it's just, it's just wild doing interviews about that. Cause it's like, we, we have been working on that book for a long time in the same way that we worked on this book for a long time, but this one's a little bit easier to talk about because, uh, you know, it's just podcasts. I do that all the time. I've done that twice today already. So. <laughs> uh, in this, at the end of this book, it mentions uh, an Adventure Zone animated series and a board game. Is there anything, any updates on that? Board game's out. Uh, just came out uh, at the end of last year. There were some pretty buck wild sort of shipping issues that oh, we yeah, had yeah. to uh, deal with uh, because of the, the the pandemic, but now folks have it. Uh, and that is rad. We worked with Together Studios uh, on, on that, and it is a sort of collaborative storytelling uh, game that is a hoot. And I'm I'm super proud of it, and think it's uh think it's a, just a treat. Think it's a delight. I am honestly like so excited to show that to my friends once uh once <laughs> once we can start getting in the same room again, uh, which is you know hopefully going to be soon. Uh, and the animated series, I mean, yeah, we talked about how books take a long time to make. Boy, howdy, I'll tell you, <laughs> TV, TV uh, can can go even longer. Yeah, that's still, uh, yeah, it's still early early stages. Uh, you know, it took us a long time to make the My Brother, My Brother and Me TV show, and that was, you know, six episodes of us running around Huntington, West Virginia, just being jags, uh, and that took forever to make. So yes, those those wheels turn turn quite slowly, but we are still, you know, in the 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 developmental phase for that. But the Adventure Zone movie, look for it. Summer 2021. <laughs> that's, um, not, that's Please, that's not true. <laughs> that's not true. Um, all right, cool. So we're pretty much out of time. So do you have any, just any other uh, projects you want to mention or any final thoughts or anything? Uh, not really. Not that I can think of. This has been, this has been fun to talk. It's felt very, it's felt very casual, very freewheeling. I hope, uh, I hope your Austin fortunes turn around soon. Uh this is this is the ideal time of year to be. I mean, this is typically when South by Southwest would be happening. March is like right before it gets to be 150 degrees outside. So, uh, to the extent that it is safe to do so, get, gather ye rosebuds. <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely, definitely. Hopefully, things will be back to relatively normal soon. I am definitely looking forward to checking out the city because, uh, yeah, it seems seems real cool. 
Um, all right, so why don't we uh, wrap things up there? So we've been speaking with Griffin McElroy. And again, this new book is called Everybody Has a Podcast Except You. So Griffin, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. And that was our interview. So big thanks again to Griffin McElroy for joining us on the show. And remember that Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is made possible thanks to support from listeners like you. So if you enjoy the show and want it to continue, please sign up to give us a dollar or two per episode over at patreon.com slash geeks. And if you'd rather make a one-time contribution, you can do that via check or PayPal over at geeksguideshow.com slash crowdfunding. So big thanks again to everyone who's contributed. We really appreciate it. All right, so that was our show. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is a production of Wired.com. For more information about the show, visit geeksguideshow.com. To learn more about your host, visit davidbarkirtley.com. Music and voiceover produced by yours truly, Jack Kincaid. If you enjoyed this program, tell your friends. If you didn't enjoy it, tell no one. Thank you for listening.